Sparkles fans. <laughs> sparklers. Uh, sparklers? Yeah, we think maybe. I don't know. But Trying maybe. it out for yeah. now. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Uh, well, it's been kind of a crazy week. We were just talking about that, but uh, I have been listening to uh, the album we're going to talk about today, Indiscreet, a number of times. Yay! So I'm super excited. I don't like Melanie and I have been texting each other for the past couple weeks, like, I can't wait to talk about Indiscreet. I can't wait to talk about Indiscreet. So yes. uh, yeah, yeah. Where do you want to start? Should we Should we start with the sparkles? We should probably yeah. start with drinking. I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's been an intense period since we last recorded. And I think I speak for many when I say it's Friday afternoon. It's at least we're recording this on Friday afternoon. I don't know what time and space it will be when you listen to this, but uh, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. What do you got today? I have Le Vert Frère uh, or Le Vert. If anyone remembers that great uh, <laughs> 80s band, Levert, um, I believe they had a hit with Casanova. I was a big fan of that song, actually. Still am, I think. Anyway. Le Vert Frère, what is uh, that? The Levert, Green, Green Brother? Le Vert Frère, Clement de Bourgogne, Rosé Brou. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I wanted something a little special because we're coming near the end of the school year. I teach at a university in Southern California. Uh, it's a private university. Take from that what it, what you will. Um, fight on, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, the spring semester has just ended. People are graduating this weekend. Uh, so I, um, I wanted something that felt a little celebratory. So uh, I, I went for this uh, fancy bottle that I found at Total Wine and uh, Torrance, California. Ooh. Where is it? I mean, is it French? What is? Uh, oh yeah, it's French. You said Bourgogne. I didn't know. Yes. Any anytime you get like a Clément, uh, that is uh, that's a sparkling wine that's been done in France. Okay. Oh, very good. Well, I'm continuing my. Um, <laughs> I don't. I'm continuing to explore wine in a can. Uh, this is Crafters Union. Uh, it is vented and canned by Crafters Union in Sonoma, California. Uh, this kind of like last week, this says it's a carbonated wine. I, I kind of joked last week, like, oh, you just put wine in your soda stream. Internet, don't do that. That's quite dangerous. Um, but so I don't know. Stop, if it Internet. Actually... Don't. Don't, Internet. <laughs> the whole Internet is listening. Um, I have a soda stream, by the way, I love it. Uh, but I don't know if that means it's like fermented, the carbonation comes with fermentation or it's added afterwards. But I'm gonna crack this sucker open and we'll give it a shot. You know, what I kind of like is that we bring different styles of sparkles to this. Like you seem to go for the can, I seem to go for a bottle. You listener may just go for something you made in your soda stream. It doesn't have to be alcoholic. In theory, I might bring something that isn't alcoholic to one of these sessions. I suggested that one time and the look I got from you. <laughs> I just, is a very... Yeah, yeah. It's, sobriety <laughs> is fine, okay? Sobriety is fine, it's totally fine. I have no issue with that. Um, 
I have some issues with things like dry January and um, detoxes, but that's just because for dry January, I feel like January is miserable enough. Why would you do that to yourself? Second of all, I feel like you have, if you have a functioning liver, you already have a detox system in your body. That's just me. You can totally disagree. This is, I know this is controversial territory. You do you. Uh, if you want to dry January, th that's fine. And obviously you don't need to have alcohol to have a good time. I say with a giant bottle with of that milk. said, <laughs> let's get let's do it <laughs> cracking open my wine mine is a little little complicated let's let's get this bad boy this is, says it's brute brute bubbles oh okay so blue it means dry how is it come on baby come on oh all right there we go Woohoo! Woo look at that look that's just look 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 i say <laughs> indiscreet because i was just listening to that right before we got ready to record this actually this hey. is night it almost the bubbles are a little bit more like a vino verde bubble like a light mm -hmm. bubble but it tastes a little not oaky like a chardonnay but it definitely has some like body to it what are your feelings on Chardonnays? People have a lot of feelings about Chardonnay these days. I mean, I used to hate it. Uh, I, I really only drank red wine, but as I got older, uh, I don't hate it. Don't love it. I'll drink it. Sometimes it hits a spot. It's a, uh, oh, that looks beautiful. Cheers. That's nice. This is light. This is something like, it's actually pretty hot here today. Well, hot for uh, Santa Monica. It's, it's in the 80s. It feels really nice. It feels very summery. And and that was actually another reason I went for rosé because rosé is like, to me, it's just the perfect summer drink. It, this yeah. is perfect for a hot day. You want something refreshing. Nice. Well, mm. cheers. 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 Clink. Santé. 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 Um, speaking of France, I have some glamorous Sparks news to share with you today. Please. Uh, so someone on uh, one of the Sparks fan sites I'm on um, shared the fact that uh, Louis Vuitton used several Spark songs in their um, catwalk show for their 2023 resort collection. Uh, from what I heard, I didn't listen to the whole thing. Okay. So if you did, that's great. But they definitely used uh, number one in heaven and they used um, uh, never turn your back on mother earth. So that's kind of Good choices. That's kind a big a, deal. How, how cool are sparks? Think about it. Like, I mean, those songs are old. Okay. <laughs> like, they're they're old. old. Those, people, those people are old. People who were born the years those songs came out, they're in their 40s now. Okay. Think about that. But, but uh, that music is being used in a fashion show for next year's, the 2023 capsule. I think it um, goes collection. to the time traveler concept, you know, like we are going to talk about indiscreet today and boy, there are just some, there are so many moments in time, like musical history time, musical future. I just love it. Oh, 
Yeah, well, I, I also brought today, well, this was a little bit of a whim, they're champagne gummy bears. Okay. Uh, you know, since I'm drinking wine out of a can, I'm not too worried about my palate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you, all right, do, do you, do I'm not, I don't only drink wine out of a can, it's just a phase. It I'm doesn't matter if you do. It doesn't matter if you do. It's handy for the beach. If you just want one, you don't need to have some sort of stopper. Um, okay. According to these, they're made with Dom Perignon vintage champagne. Why waste well, it on gummy bears? Actually, that's um, these must be like Dom Perignon champignon. Champignon. Champignon means mushroom. <laughs> so Dom Perignon champagne. Um, I kind of think it's like flat Dom Perignon or like Dom Perignon that they can't use to bottle. So they decide. <laughs> well, just my, it says just it's made thought. in Germany and distributed by Sugarfina, Los Angeles, California. No, it's not bad. It's pretty good. They're not, um, you know, sometimes like, I, like my, my, my mother really loved champagne cake, which is a very sweet cake, or at least in the U.S. it's quite sweet and it's made with a very sugary frosting. I'm like, I can eat, I love sweets, but it's very sweet. These are kind of tangy. They're a little sour. Hmm. Well, anyway, there's our AMR, Amy Chewing Gummy Bears. What is that? Is that what that's called? Like AMR? AMR, Amy Chewing Gummy Bears? Mm -hmm. No, the, um, the YouTube videos of like, especially women just chewing things. I didn't know that was a thing. It totally is. Look it up. Oh my god. <laughs> very oh, rarely bro. do I know some yeah, very rarely do I know some like internet thing that Melanie does not because I, you know, I'm a little old fashioned. Modern world. It's a crazy place. There's something for everyone out there. And this there is. is the place for sparks. Yes, yeah. welcome, welcome. Uh, I could not be more excited to talk about this album because at last, I mean, look, look, I, I want to be, let's, let's be clear as former president Barack Obama has said, let's be clear. Um, every single Sparks album that exists is wonderful. They're all great. I have preferences as we all do. This, we finally now hit one of my personal favorite Sparks albums, an album that it's, it's amazing that I only discovered it in December that I cannot believe that. And now it's, it's May, but it feels like an old friend, an old friend that I just met a few months ago. Um, I, I think this album is an absolute masterpiece. I got I got a lot of feelings about it and I got a lot to say about it, but I'll I'll turn it over to Amy for a momentito. Uh you know the same. It's it's every song is really really interesting to me and the the use of uh just different um instrumentations and different like calls to different musical periods and time I love. Uh, but on the other hand, there are a few songs that are very modern sounding. Um, <clears throat> I'm thinking specifically of uh, Happy Hunting Ground. To me, that could have been like in it. I think I put like that song could have been on the like Valley Girl soundtrack. There's just a wonderful range of, of music in this. Um, 
and there's some gratuitous silliness too, which I really love. But uh, I think I will say um, my favorite one, this is probably my favorite cover. <laughs> album cover oh my gosh this cover is amazing i actually i think i agree with you i think i, I love agree it that it is the best cover actually you know what um let's pull up the cover for people who are on um who are watching this on the internet with us uh the other thing i when i was looking at the cover um i spent, I spent a lot of time looking at the front cover which is such a hilarious moment in time but then i was like oh wait what's the back cover the back cover also mwah, just love it this is such a great <laughs> cover i mean uh i can tell you that this cover was shot in um the valley area of los angeles california and apparently the boys were going for um the idea of a crash happening and then a local neighbor coming to check and see what yeah. happened. Like a plane crash in suburbia. And I have to say it is the, the it's that like local man, Ron Maya, like looking at this and just a crushed plane going like, now there's a problem. <laughs> that is what I think of every now there's a problem. Guess now there's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know q russell's just like oh my leg oh honestly <laughs> uh first of all i think they both look awesome on this cover I, I personally think they both look really hot i actually love um ron's uh wife beater hat ensemble and of course uh Russell just looks like a pretty boy 1970s model right in the middle. Like, does he look like he piloted this plane? Not in any way. In no way <laughs> does he look like he was even in the plane. He looks like he was completely uninjured and he just actually turned up to do the shoot. Like, in my, in my opinion, he doesn't even, does he look like a pilot? No, no. I've never seen a pilot with their, um, their shirt unbuttoned to that level. That is definitely <laughs> outside of regulation. But you know oh. he's a pilot because you can see the little wings on his bomber jacket. Oh yes, of course. How could I, <laughs> How could I miss this? Or, or brothers Ron and Russell Mail go over to local plane crash so little brother Russell can finally fulfill his dream. <laughs> Of pretending to be a pilot who crashed a plane who knows um oh, it's so great i think i read that it was like a backdrop that uh this was shot in front of but it does give that i, I just love that like plane crash on a street in suburbia now there's a problem <laughs> I, I this back cover actually because i have not seen the back cover the back cover also from what i read is it the one with the horse yes shot in front of um like a backdrop a studio backdrop and uh it i think the back cover to me it harkens to this sort of like jazz age uh indulgence that this album in a few spots really plays into and leans into um which i i really love also oh. like i said i've been listening to a lot of like agatha christie in like 1920s through 30s murder mysteries so oh, this look is at them. just amazing they look this incredible just amazing 
what happened first okay did the fake crash happen first (laughs) or did the fake polo match with the band drinking um bloody mary's i think yeah and playing tennis but also playing polo and possibly swimming like this this picture i don't don't think polo i'm gonna go say no polo he's holding just a regular riding crop but it is like an english saddle yeah uh, there's a lot of television. Oh, I love that um, we talked a little, I, they, these these three album covers from the island period are these such sublime like moments in time where you are sort of just catching a story that you you came in the middle of. And so you don't know what preceded it. You don't know what's going to come next, but they're just these wonderful images and and capturing moments in time so brilliant and amy might i quote ron mail from an august 2017 guardian interview talking about his album their albums um we think the visuals of our album covers are an important element of the whole process we take a lot of pleasure in trying to come up with interesting visual ideas for covers we think the covers really reflect a lot of the sensibility of a band and in our minds they tell you a lot about what sparks is light and a lot about our sensibility um covers like propaganda where you're being abducted and tied up in the back of a speedboat you don't know what happened before that photo was taken we kind of like the idea of taking a slice of a scenario and leaving it up to the viewer to determine in their mind what has actually happened yes yeah and this this cover absolutely does that what the heck happened because i'm telling you Russell does not look in any way like he was even in that plane. Um, Ron just happened to rock by in an incredibly stylish, I was just at home ensemble. But you know, um, he went outside, so he did put his hat on. Out of respect. Thank you, Ron, <laughs> for being so respectful. And you know, I, I would say to me, oh, man, I have so much to say about this album. <laughs> Um, I feel like this is the album where every part of what we love about Sparks comes together. Actually, I I feel like this is that album where that happens. I mean, they're all good to me, to me, the half Nelson Sparks album, and then Woofer and Tweeter's Clothing, they're, they're great albums, but they are still they're quite experimental and and they they have the feel to me of sparks finding their feet where do they want to go as a band what do they want to do still trying to figure stuff out um kimono as we've talked about is like it's just such a tight pop amazing album i feel like propaganda is also in that same vein but here we have an album that has crazy cover it has or at least very thought-provoking cover um it has um the witty lyrics it also has uh these pop these song chords that just get under your skin and are addictive um but it also has a feeling of we're gonna do what we want 
and fuck the haters. <laughs> like to me, that's that's the recipe for sparks. Like uh, creativity, pop um, talent, witty lyrics, art for art's sake. We hope you like it. If you don't, oh well. That that to me, it's all in this album in a way that it isn't before this one. Yeah, you've said several times um, <clears throat> that you hear a building of confidence and confidence in the songwriting and this, the construction of the songs and the production of the songs. And uh, that is definitely evident. And uh, we've talked a little bit about the producer on this album, uh, we, Tony Visconti. We, we have got to talk about the legendary Tony Visconti. How much do you know about Tony? Uh, a little bit. I haven't like read his autobiography or anything. Just, uh, well, you know, Wikipedia and a couple blog articles. I, I've read the, the biography some time ago, but definitely I, I feel like this is another reason this album is so great. You had just like a magic combination of the male brothers, the musicians who also played on this and Tony Visconti. So uh, for those of you who don't know too much about Tony Visconti, he's a very well-known uh producer i'm actually sure a lot of you listening do know because you're sparks fans so you're music geeks <laughs> so i'm sure you do but um he's produced so many notable albums including uh t-rex um he did electric warrior he did right a white swan which i love that song he actually did the orchestral arrangement on band on the run by paul mccartney and wings i did not know that um and he also produced um, Morrissey's Ringleader of the Tormentors album, which made me think, did Morrissey want to work with Tony Visconti because of his association with Sparks and with David Bowie? I am sure 100% yes, yes, yes. Okay, like I'm sure of it. But anyway, he's most famous for his work with David Bowie. He actually started working with David Bowie in the late 1960s. Um, he produced The Man Who Sold the World. Um, he produced Young Americans. He produced Heroes, among many other David Bowie albums. And he produced David Bowie's last album, Black Star. Um, he's also, Tony Visconti is also in a Bowie tribute band called Holy Holy, which I personally would really like to see. Speaking also of Bowie um, and Heroes. So the song Heroes by David Bowie, the whole song is about lovers and that's, that is that. <laughs> but <laughs> the whole kissing by the wall in the song, uh, that allegedly is in fact about Tony Visconti and Antonia Moss, who's a German singer, um, that the then married Visconti was having an affair with after meeting her in a Berlin nightclub. So just put that romantic image in your mind. Mm -hmm. um, I have more to tell you about Tony because he's really an interesting guy. And his biography, uh, which I believe is called, um, let me let me look it up. It's, it's like Bowie and the Brook, Bowie. Uh, Bolin and the Brooklyn Boy or something like that. Yeah. Let me, yes. Uh, it's, it's a great book. I, I read it a number of years ago. I, I recommend it if you are into rock bios and I am. Um, but Tony Visconti was also married to May Pang, which is an amazing fact for me. Do you know who May Pang is, Amy? Uh, name, it, she's not, it's not resonating. Okay. So May Pang was John Lennon's girlfriend 
between 1973 and 1975. If you ever have heard, again, I, I'm a rock geek. I've read a lot of rock bios and whatnot. But John Lennon in the early 70s had a period of his life known as the Lost Weekend. It's a two-year period. Um, but, uh, but during that time, um, Yoko encouraged him to begin an affair with May. May was their assistant. Um, they moved to Los Angeles. Well, John did. Um, and John, you know, there was a lot of drinking. I'm assuming a lot of drugging as well. Um, there's a great <laughs> picture, which I have to find, of, of John Lennon, May Pang, and Harry Nilsson, because they hung out a lot, um, in the Troubadour nightclub, which they got kicked out of, by the way, the Hollywood <laughs> Troubadour nightclub. But it's one of those pictures, like, if you're ever at a party, um, like, maybe if you've got some pictures from college and there's a shot of you and you're like, oh, whoa, that I look really drunk in this picture. Or that's that's how Harry Nelson looks <laughs> in, in this photo. It's it's hilarious to me, this picture. But anyway, so May Pang um, was with John Lennon for about two years. Um, and then later, she went on to marry Tony Visconti. They were married from 1989 uh, to 2000. Uh, so that's, that's like a little bit about Tony Visconti. Um, I actually read somewhere that Ron said, and Russell has said this too, that Tony Visconti was really encouraging of the ideas that Ron and Russell wanted to try for this album. So for example, um, they wanted the, they wanted strings for under the table with her, Visconti was all in for getting a cellist for it. He was all in for getting a band, uh, a big band to do looks, looks, looks. My, my hypothesis, my learned hypothesis is that this album is an absolute masterpiece because Ron and Russell were feeling very audacious in what they wanted to do. And they had the perfect enabler in the form of Tony Visconti. In fact, funnily enough, Russell once said about this album that some people say that indiscreet is self-indulgent and he says yes it is thank you for in the best way yeah oh thank <laughs> you for noticing best way yes yeah well you know i will say there's a lot of instrumentation in this and um i can see how like you i can see how Bisconti you know, went and got those musicians and probably led this recording sessions. I don't know how it was produced. There's not, I didn't see a lot of information about how the strings, uh, the marching band or that, like you said, the big band were contracted and included. My understanding is that they hired some session musicians and uh, kind of went off and recorded these um, more, the instrumentals um, and then, you know, layered them into, into the songs. But the, it, they play such a huge part in this album and I just love the variety and I love the quality is excellent so honestly from a, you know a instrumental uh instrumental arrangements alone boy that it just blows me away what's on this album so this album too um you know I, I this is kind of a weird segue but I'm gonna make it and we're gonna see where we go so I have a little extra time this week. Yesterday afternoon, um, I went to go see Boogie Nights in the <gasps> cinema. It was playing Yay! nearby. Um, I, I, I'm a fan of that movie and I really like it. And I haven't well, seen- Oh, he's been a big PTA fan. 
Yes. Um, I haven't seen it on the big screen since I saw it in previews in 1997. So I was very excited to see it on the big screen and it was great. It was really great. So just coincidentally enough, I went and saw Boogie Nights. It just so happened that Blade Runner, which is my husband's favorite film or one of his favorite films was also playing on the big screen yesterday. So I actually had this crazy day where I went and saw, I went and saw Boogie Nights. Then I took a bus to a different cinema and I watched Blade Runner in the evening. I was like, basically it was like eight hours of filmmaking. Why am I telling you this? Because both of these films were done by directors who had these like just insane visions of what they wanted to do. So Paul Thomas Anderson, actually Boogie Nights came out of some weird idea he had this kind of tongue-in-cheek goofy fake documentary of the porn industry and then it became this really sprawling beautiful i think story of family and how it changes it just happens to take place in the porn industry um blade runner uh we happened to there was an actress who was in blade runner who was at this screening and then also they just sort of talked about the movie Ridley Scott was very demanding about what he wanted. He had this vision. He knew what he wanted. They, the film crew actually started calling the set Blood Runner because they just felt like what he wanted was so tough. But what did they get in the end? Masterpieces. And I, this morning when I was thinking about Indiscreet, I was like, huh, there's an artistic vision here too. I, I think coming off the heels of the success of Kimono My House and Propaganda, almost certainly Ron and Russell had some power that they were able to use. They wouldn't have been able to get Tony Visconti to produce them if they weren't um, making a name for themselves. And I think they were able to really drive creative vision on this album in a way that they maybe weren't able to do to such an extent in the past. And then they had someone like Tony Visconti was really willing to go there with them. And the budget, my understanding is that there was a lot of investment in this album. And so they could go, you know, have these orchestral arrangements done and added as part of the backdrop of, of the album. Yeah, I, I almost think they wanted to create sort of their own Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club. We've said that before, and um, there were uh, several points where I wrote like, it's a little Sgt. Pepper's here, a little Abbey Road here, but Sgt. Pepper's came up a lot when I was listening yes. to a couple of the various songs. Yeah, and um, to me, this is this is a Sparks masterpiece. I, I, I feel like it's insulting almost to their later work to say it's the best album they've ever done. But I would, I would put it in the top five, if not top three, at least. Um, I feel like they've had some other real masterpieces, particularly in their later time. Um, but, uh, but this is one. And interestingly, in um, an interview that they gave in 2017, they said this was their favorite album of the 70s, which I agree. I agree, which is really saying something because you've got Kimono and you've also got number one in heaven in this yeah. album. But we'll, so we'll get- we'll They get did it. a lot of shit in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, okay, they produced like Who five albums <laughs> came out. So I can give a few notes 
on production, just like besides Tony. So uh, these facts that I'm about to give, they again come from Madeline Baccaro's uh, blog, which is at madelinesparks.blogspot.com. Um, I've read several of her articles, really great, great, great. Yes, stuff. thanks Madeline. And I actually managed to connect with her. Um, oh, yay. Cause you know, Sparks fans, they all, they, the ladies, they linger. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Was the third one for Island. I consider it's the conclusion of what I consider the Island trilogy. Um, they started recording it in the spring of 1975 um, at Gooder Studio in uh, Soho, London. Just imagine, imagine being in Soho for that. That would be amazing. Anyway, it came out at the end of the year. <laughs> I was just thinking that room must have just smelled like sweat and cigarettes. <laughs> and probably um, and magic. Ladies of the evening, because, uh, you know, Soho's known for. Well, I know I just meant that that room and the, the, the studio, the recording room that they were in. Cigarettes and magic. And ladies of the evening, why not? It's funny you mentioned the cigarettes because I found um, a quote uh, a little later, Spark, because Sparks have worked with Tony Visconti after this. They are still, I believe it, I believe they're still on good terms with um, Mr. Visconti, but uh, Russell made a joke about uh, working with Tony Visconti and um, a French man, I just, I'm so worried I'm gonna say their name wrong, Le Rita Muscos. Uh, less Rita Muscos. I'm assuming it's Le Rita Muscos. And I apologize to everyone who's screaming the correct pronunciation at this recording right now. Um, but anyway, uh, Russell's comment was, Tony managed to get two French people to stop smoking in the studio. And I think that's the biggest accomplishment of his entire career. <laughs> that's a pretty good one. Pretty good one. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, anyway, uh, this this um, album was the least commercially successful of the um, the Island Records that they did. It charted, um, it, it reached number eighteen on the UK album chart. It only got to one sixty nine in the US. Um, and "Get in the Swing" and "Looks Looks Looks" were released as singles. Um, they reached number, getting the swing got to number 27 and looks, looks, looks got to number 26. And that was the last real chart action in the UK that the males, the males would have until um, number one in heaven came out, which, you know, honestly, this album came out in 1975. It was only a four year period. It's kind of ridiculous to be like, and didn't hey, they it's a comeback. Like, other albums in between. Right. Like you could start school as a freshman and as a, like when, <laughs> <laughs> Indiscreet came out and as a senior and this one's coming out what's the big deal that's my attitude interestingly want to bring it back to at least Blade Runner which was a commercial flop when it came out but now is seen as one of the greatest films that's ever been made personally I think this is if not one of the greatest it, it's up there to me this is to, to me this is better than Kimono which I know not everyone is going to agree with, but I think this album is better. I think this is one of the best rock albums that's ever been made. I'm going to go there. Yeah, well, you know, a, a couple of things that I, I thought about as, as I was listening to this is that 
this the song the songs in this album and again may have been partly the i don't know why but the songs in this album feel much more mature in terms of song structure and um, I've mentioned on a couple of the previous albums that, you know, they kind of like to do the old switcheroo, start the song in one place and then switch over to somewhere else. And I don't get that feeling very often in this album, especially like the side A, the, the beginning of the song, it's really, you're really in the song from the beginning through the end. I feel like there's just more finesse and going from like change up to change up in, in the songs on this album, then and a little, maybe a little less jarring or change on the dime. Now, not completely. There's certainly a couple of examples like How You Getting Home, which very, uh, you know, purposefully, I think, you know, switch back and forth between styles. But uh, I just feel like they, the, as, as individual songs, they sound really cohe like cohesive songs within themselves. Yeah, you know, what I, the other thing I would say is that to me, as good as Kimono My House and Propaganda are, to me, they both to some extent sound like a product of their time. Like, I, I would say Kimono My House doesn't in some ways, but in other parts, you can just really hear that 70s sound to it. Like, it does have a 70s vibe. And I feel like propaganda definitely does. Like, propaganda really feels very 70s to me. Um, not entirely. There are songs that are out of time in that, in those two. But Indiscreet, I feel like it could have come out yesterday and it would sound like it, it could be a new, it, it could be completely new. It doesn't feel like it came from that time and yet it does at the same time like there are there are aspects there are definitely moments yeah that, and even those covers like like i actually think um without using hands is the most 70s sounding i that's that's controversial because you could you could say that about ladies lingering too which also has a real 70s vibe to it but i'm getting ahead of myself you no know, you know i think for me those moments are less about 70s moments and more about uh the fact that it, glam rock had its moment it was in that moment of glam rock it was in that moment of a, where you could be indulgent and you could have a harpsichord in your rock song and you know like, it wasn't i mean not that not to say you can't do that today but but this is was new i mean as we talked about again we're talking about a point in rock and roll history where rock and roll has only been around for 20 years. Yeah. And so this is the first mo one of the first moments in time where you do have Bowie, T-Rex, all of, you know, Slade, all of the glam, uh, glams, glamming it up and experimenting with layering the songs with sounds not previously used very much in straight uh, rock music. Um, I do feel like the song feels less frenetic to me, yes. or this album feels less frenetic. Less relentless. And, you know, and I was thinking about why, why is that? And I thought, well, you know, again, back to this idea of the strong construction in, uh, especially like in Kimono and also in Propaganda, I feel like those songs are packed with ideas. It's like, we have all these ideas and it's our, like, you know, we're young and we're gonna put as many change ups and funky little things in one song as we can. And again, maybe due to production, maybe due to just point in time in their musical development, but this is frenetic, but it's a little more, 
frenetic is not the right word. There are a lot of changes from song to song. And there are some songs that have many changes within them. But I don't feel like there's, I feel like there's not as many ideas packed, musical ideas packed into each song. And when there are, they're really finessed in the song. So I'm thinking specifically like get into the swing. There's a lot of musical ideas in there, but they're very, um, very well managed and finessed. Again, this kind of makes me think that this is an album where they really matured. Yeah, yeah. And, and this way, this is another reason I, I feel like every every piece of subsequent Sparks, I mean, I don't know. They, they certainly had issues. We will discuss some of the issues they had on future recordings, but all of the, the pieces of the Magic Sparks puzzle are, are together in this they they all came together in a really great way on this album the the witty lyrics the great craftsmanship the art for art's sake hope you like it if you don't oh well i feel like it's all there the the great album covers i i know i said that but i i feel like it is part of that piece of maturity and um what was i gonna say about this you know it's funny because when i was initially doing my listening to all the sparks albums I felt, I, I think, because once I hit Kimono My House, I was like, oh, I see what everybody is saying about this album. It's really good. Wow. Okay. Like, it's really delightful. Um, I, I, I loved it. I, I just thought it was so great. Um, then I got to Propaganda. And as I said, like, parts of it just took my breath away. So when I was about to start listening to Indiscreet, I was actually a little, a little afraid that I would be disappointed because I had heard, you know, all of this talk about how it sounded totally different from Kimono My House and Propaganda when it came out. And it does. And actually, like the first time I listened to it, I was not, I was not overly taken by it. Like, like Kimono My House and parts of Propaganda grabbed me immediately but not a single song on Indiscreet grabbed me immediately. Mm -hmm. However, it is by far the one that has grown on me of these three, but it, it got under my skin in the way that the best Sparks albums do. Yeah. Um, like uh, Get in the Swing, which we will get to. <laughs> the first time I, the first few times I heard that song, I just like freaking hated it. I was like, why is there this stupid marching man there? And then one day I was listening to it and I realized I loved it. Like that, there's and, so and, many layers in that song. That yeah. is one that I actually, I liked right away. And, but it, I was surprised because I was like, normally I don't react like this. But anyway, yeah, we're going to talk more about it. But I can absolutely see kind of, I mean, there are some places where it's like, well, I thought I was listening to like a rock album. I don't have to listen to some string quartets. You can totally <laughs> see how this would have been. Like, if, if you've had this experience, I'm sure you have had this experience. So like, when I was in high school, I was a huge fan of New Order. I loved them so much. I was obsessed with, um, particularly when I was a freshman in high school, I was obsessed with the New Order Substance 1987 double album, which to this day, I still really love. Um, but anyway, then 1989 roll around, I was very excited for New Order Technique 
and it came out and the sound felt really different and I just didn't really know what to make of it like looking back I feel like it's a great that's a great album but at the time I was just like okay but this isn't exactly what I was expecting and I am sure many teeny boppers felt that way like they were hoping for bc they were hoping for more songs about girls and they got they they did get songs about girls they just got like sort of twisted you know tits were once a source of fun and games at home you know uh songs about girls at home, <laughs> at home. yeah yeah shall we uh shall we get into the tracks the actual yes, tracks please. okay so um Let's talk about uh, Hospitality on Parade, which <laughs> apparently, apparently, again, according to Madeline Baccaro's blog, that song is about the history of the U.S. I didn't I, know that. You know, I, I, when I was listening to it today, I was thinking like, there's such an aspect of imperialism to the song. And I, I I didn't necessarily specifically think U.S., but I get I get that. And part of me was like, man, it's like Russia invading Ukraine. But I I I can I can get how it's a little bit of the American story as well. Um, we all are someone special. We're the customers, King Ron Mail. <laughs> bow down, <laughs> bow down to your lyrical prowess. Yeah. I, I love, okay, so a couple of things musically that I love that in the song are, uh, I love that it kind of toggles, it's just these moments of being like a gospel song and a march. And then, uh, so, so at the beginning, you get these kind of strong, it's a strong downbeat 4-4 four, four song, and it's just piano and like some sustained organ. In fact, a majority, like the first half of the song is really the instrumentation is really just piano and vocals and, and some synth synthesizer of some type. I don't know anything about that. Um, but then you get these little like upbeat moments where some vocals come in, um, you know, then have some tea and tobacco, Jenny, meet your master. You know, we got a little clapping on the two and four beat, which as I've mentioned before is common in like a swing or a ska type of sounds. And then you get taken into, um, I think some quick like 16th notes when they get going like we speak and we sing so it gets it like that again into that sort of marching sound and then back to piano it's uh it's really nice and it's almost we're not quite at the end but we're getting to the end of russell's pretending to be British period <laughs> to that hospitality well, the, on parade you know, it, kind of I mean like there that I, I did when I wrote when I was listening to the song earlier today I kept thinking like imperialism I was like is it British imperialism is it American imperialism it's both yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but it does have that very like uh um that that um our master a very like god save the queen and then it gets into kind of a march now and, we are we we're no longer yeah and i love that it's it is a song of independence in many ways and a song of of taking you know taking control of your identity as a well in this case as a country um and it's like i love how it's like a little seed and then the next little bit is a little you know, sprouts sprouts coming up and the next little bit is a flower opening it, it there is a real sense of growth 
in the song for me. I also really like the guitars. <laughs> Sorry, I for feel sure. like you, you've given us some really sophisticated background and I'm just like, <laughs> I really like those guitars, man. I, I really like that. I do too. Just in case you weren't sure yeah. it would be a rock okay. album, it will be a rock album. It will. I And you know, right before that, you're still kind of in piano and I think like, I don't know if it was an actual bassoon playing the bass line, but there's kind of like a boom, 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 boom bass line. And then they hit that, and I am king, that sustained note. And yeah, that guitar comes in and it's such a T-Rex moment. It's such a, like a bang, a gong. And it, yeah, oh, it really gets, it, clearly, I guess me excited. And it, it the tempo picks up and yeah, it reminds me that, such fun songs there's so much going on in what seems like a simple song i i know that these guys give a lot of thought to the the order of the songs like they they i mean who knows maybe their record company made them put songs in a particular order but i'm sure they had based on what we know about this album that they must have had a lot of creative control um i like that they like to start with a really strong sound i i've heard some talk that people have suggested other songs for the opener no no this is a perfect opener to me i i also just i feel like there's something about this song that feels very uplifting too like, it is it's a it's a it's a, an uplifting song like when i said it's it's half march half gospel song to me i i do believe that there is that sound of hope in it and um <laughs> you know i love even when they get like I'm special, you're special. But then they've got a little desk can't hide no where he's going, I'm special. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I'm the king. I love that part actually. Yeah, it's we've talked many times about how Sparks has a lot of like songs that sound happy, but when you read the lyrics, they're actually fairly depressing. But this song actually, to me, the lyrics are are actually very um powerful and engaging and hopeful sounds like the type of lyrics a guy from america living in, <laughs> in the middle of a dreary February might write. <laughs> maybe i don't know i'm just throwing it out there oh, shall so... we move on to happy hunting ground which i like i'm chomping at the bit to talk about to me happy hunting ground is our first opener in the pantheon of problematic spark songs to be discussed at a later date on a later episode of this show. Um, and, and actually, even on this very, even on this episode, possibly the next one, um, the question of are sparks a feminist oriented band will be addressed. Um, but we'll be looking at that in a different song. But to me, this is our, our first entrance into lyric kind of creepy lyrics from sparks why not the I... first time for me i think that propaganda had some problematic which one which ones what would you well, throw we talked about last time like um something for the girl has everything like shoving things into her mouth to shut her up um don't you leave me alone with her i think that there are other points where i know that you took have a different take on a couple of those songs but uh yeah that's just my my take no on you, you you could be right we can add those one, one day we will do, <laughs> we will do a discussion and it will be um songs of, from sparks that make us feel slightly uncomfortable in 2022 or 2023 <laughs> whenever we record this but happy hunting ground 
is definitely written from the perspective of a guy who misses the days when he could just troll for girls at school. Like that is that is definitely 100% what the song is about. How to say it so as not to offend. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I mean, that's that's creepy. Uh, that's we'll start there. It is, but uh, you know, it's so funny because you're always about the lyrics. I'm always about the music, and like, which is great. Uh, I think this is just if I just musically, this is a really good rock song oh, for me. I it's a good, love it's, this it's, song. and it's surprising again to me. It's like from another time. It sounds ten years ahead of its time in terms of instrumentation, and um, I love that there's like a little like three note motif, like. That is played and played by almost each instrument at least one point in time throughout the song. Uh, but it just is a kind of a rocking, a rocking tune. So yeah, I guess I'm willing to forgive. Uh, oh, I, you know. I forget. You know what? It was 1975. <laughs> like um, it, we, we were still and never smile. They always demand what they drive. We were still five years away from Woody Allen having a hit with the movie Manhattan, which is essentially about his relationship with someone who's still in high school. And that was released without any, any issue um, to my knowledge. So, so no, 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 it, 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 you, you gotta, you, you do have to put the music within the frame. You can still, and, and look, when I say these lyrics are slightly problematic to me, this is just my opinion, like, Number one, it, they're just skirting the line of problematic. But number two, it's very clear from the entire pantheon, if that's not the right word, but the entire oeuvre of Ron and Russell Mail that they often create characters for songs and then they sing from the perspective of that character, which is very clearly to me what this song is about. And um so, so that's, that's all fine with me. I, I can live with it. Um, I think this song is great. I was actually going to say, I hear not only um, connections to songs that would come just a little bit later in the decade. So, so songs that this kind of reminded me of were um, The Knack um good girls don't which by the way that's a problematic song so you know um but it reminded me a bit of that it reminded me a little bit of ramones um yeah yeah, yeah kind of like punk throwback to the 1950s sort of vibe mm -hmm. um i was thinking a little bit of rock and roll high school with this one. Oh, um, you know it's so funny i thought that too Sorry, it should not have a little bit of the psychedelic first pretty in pink just yes yes i kept thinking like i feel like there's a real like 80 soundtrack uh quality to this like i there can see is. the i can see the moving pictures that would go with this song yeah so so this song even though it was released in 1975 and i can see influences from that time mm -hmm. i can see what is coming after this you're right this could be like a new wave song like with just a little bit of a rearrangement, it could be. Also, I have to say the part where they get to the it's fair, fair game inside, that's extremely satisfying. <laughs> and again, I feel like that is a Ron Mail. He's he set it up where he builds up the pressure and then suddenly he 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 gives us a release. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Ron. You know, I wrote about that part of the song as well, because there's the I can't remember the tune 
not right, I'm not recalling it right now, but they've kind of got this sustained uh, outside. And then it's like the whole song comes together in its fair fair game inside. And I did get a little bit of Lonely Hearts Club band because I think there might be like a little brass, um, uh, like a trumpet part in the back that made me think of that. But, you know, that that's at the point where they start to bring in the drums and they've got the guitars rolling and it's a wonderful it's a wonderful cohesive moment of the song and then it continues to build and then each different instrument is picking up that little three note wrote uh, motif and um the guitar gets faster oh. yeah this is one of my favorite tracks on this album it's, it's one of my favorites on on this love it love it I, this is i will say this is a song where i forget about it unless i'm listening to the album but then when i come back and listen to it i'm like oh the song is fucking great <laughs> like, <laughs> it doesn't stick in my head the melody the subject matter does not stick in my head as much as a song like tits for example really does and we'll obviously have so much to talk about there but that's so funny tits i find it's hard for me <laughs> it's a hard one it's a hard one but i get that um get in the swing i mean these are the songs that kind of get stuck uh, in my, stuck in my brain afterwards get, get in the swing is like it is a a point it's it's a stinging nettle song it, it's a yeah. song <laughs> that you brush against it and then it gets under your skin and you can't get rid of it and you're just like wait wait what's happening <laughs> as i said the the whole marching thing i found super annoying when I first heard it, it has grown on me a lot. The parts I really like are those middle bits of the song. Yeah. I just think they're absolutely gorgeous. But why don't you tell us what you think of this song? Uh, well, you know, we we skipped without using hands. Oh, we did. Oh shoot, we did. Oh we, my. Oh my God. We can talk about them in a different order, but let's no. not. <laughs> no, no, we're gonna come back. We're, sorry. Oh no. Uh -huh. No, no, no. Um, this, I, oh, man, without using hands, it's great. It's got this is the first song of the album that to me really uses more of a jazzy swing golden age soft shoe you know Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers type of sound to it um, that we hear in other songs later in the album but this really takes me back to that that more jazzy sound there's a couple of chromatic scales that I think lean into that so um I think when they sing as long as their powder was dry and with or without the protection of the Ritz Hotel those are those little they make it kind of a jazzy uh sound for me and you know I was thinking about I think about this and like this sort of 1920s 30s throwback sound and you know that was actually kind of a popular thing at this point in time and this it was like, this is after Bonnie and Clyde came out which had a huge impact on fashion and and this I think the sting had come out a year or two before this so there was kind of a resurgence at this time it were in the, the media with having said of this throwback to um 20s and 30s and you're right and I think that that's to me very very prevalent and what I love about this song is there's something very, it starts out very sexy to me, sensual. And then kind of interesting. And then you get some dramatic irony, but uh, we'll dig into that a little bit more. What do you, what do you think um, about this one? This is one of the creepier songs for me. I like it. 
I like it. I agree that there is some sexiness to it, but I also think there's some extreme creepiness, but I'm also totally down with that. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like a little prelude to funny face for me. <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of, yeah. But uh, this idea of kind of the grotesque, you know, there is like an, at, first of all, first of all, the song is called Without Using Hands. Okay, so when I first heard this song, I'm just picturing a bunch of people with no hands. And that's just oh. like creeping me out. Plus not- the end of the song, the manager's gonna live his entire life without using hands. So that that's something that just kind of sticks with me. For me, I like the journey that you go through because when I said it starts out kind of sexy, it is because there's this line that says every single Parisian will love tonight without using hands. Oh no, you're 100% right. And then we get into this, background that becomes really horrific (laughs) also how do the french children get disciplined without using hands that's another do they get bitten like i don't want to i don't know no you're 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 completely right i'm just telling you the first time i heard this yeah oh yeah that that just that those beginning the sexy frenchmen you know just using their tongues or whatever they were doing um I missed that part I went straight to the bomb and the manager um but actually that's one of the things I really like about this song is that it paints it's like it's an amazing wordplay picture there's so much happening in this song yeah. so much it's yeah so brief, very briefly to me the story of the song is you hear uh, uh the the ritz in paris it's you know you get this sort of um sexy french kind of vibe and then it it, it flips to um like a narration by the a father and it could be American, it could be British, but clearly it's like uh, a father talking about their trip to France and here are the slides that Mary took and, and Jerry, like, or your sister. And I've, <laughs> I, love, I love the idea of this father being like a total Francophile when nobody else in his family really gives a crap about France. <laughs> like, <laughs> but he's like, sit down and let's sing La Marseillaise, you know, <laughs> like, like just this, uh, this, this, we, and then you get into the weird thing with the only way children are punished in France is without using hands. And then you go into this bridge, which brings a very grandiose sound when they're singing what a lovely city, 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 city. And you have got these big piano chords, bong, 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 and slow arpeggios. It, it really grows beautifully. Um, and you get that lovely, na, 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 da, 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 da. And then this gets scales down and it leads us to what I wrote in capital letters, dramatic irony. <laughs> the last verse is about how the, the hotel that they were at was bombed and nobody was hurt except for the manager but his face looks okay yes. and then the, the remaining his face looks well the remaining of the song is the manager is going to live his, his entire life without using hands and then i love i love the, i love the ending because Russell sings this repeated line over and over again, but he sings it like a bunch of, to me, a bunch of different characters. Yes. Like, like, uh, sympathetic, dismissive, playful, you know, 
that? And he just keeps singing without using it, without using hands, without using hands, without using hands, you know, like just these guys. <laughs> without using hands. Without using hands. But uh, what was I going to say? Maybe that's why the song has the creep factor. It is creepy. Really high because to me, all of those little sort of vignettes that are told in the song, it's like all of the day-to-day -day life that happens before something like a bomb goes off. So to me, all of that action is actually happening around the same time. Like, tourists are going in and out of the hotel um lovers are having sex with each other children are getting disciplined and also the hotel's gonna get bombed like so so to me that that bomb is like it's everything that happens in the story is leading up to that moment that's that's my take and and it's it sounds more like a terrorist and i don't know if that's what it's supposed to be but i, I think that i think that because of throughout the course of my life terrorism has really developed into this type of Boston Marathon, hotel in Fiji, whatever. I can't, I can't even name, there's so many, I can't even name them. Yes, and it was in its somewhat infancy, modern day terrorism. But I wanted to just uh, talk really quickly about Russell's singing on Without Using Hands. Like to me, he's approaching it very much as like a cabaret singer. Like yes! there's such um, yeah. like a Weimar Republic cabaret feel to his mm -hmm. performance on this. And whenever I get to this one, it just really strikes me how he sounds so different on every song in this like he's really kind of getting into if you think about hospitalian parade happy hunting ground and then without using hands the way in which he's singing those songs is very different on each one so not only um was ron i i think trying to challenge himself with um creativity in terms of the music he was producing for this and the lyrics but i think russell was also trying to challenge himself in terms of what he was doing uh as a vocalist so to me this is a song that i think russell sings just absolutely beautifully like it is it's it's to me one of his best songs that he sings it is great and i think if i recall i'm like even though i find it, it creepy it is creepy. I mean, yeah, please don't get me wrong. I said it was sexy. Just that one line is sexy, but then once you agreed, agreed. Weird. Like, uh, but I can't remember what, what is her name? Baccaro? Is it the Madeline Baccaro? Madeline Baccaro, um, in her blog post about this album, I think she had a quote from Tony Visconti talking about Visconti, pardon me, talking about the just like what an incredible vocalist um Russell Mile is, and he's showcased in so many different ways in this uh, album it's really fun to listen to and then finally <laughs> finally we're there it's been marching in the background for all of this song um so yes this is a song that annoyed the fuck out of me when i first heard it then one day i was listening to it and i realized i was in love with it like that 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 is really what happened with this song i really adore the strings on this, all of the non-marching band bits, I just really love the little interludes in this song. And that's what I will say for now. I want you to get into it. Oh, oh, I'm going to get into it. So get in the swing, pal. Uh, first of all, <clears throat> I was a drum major in high school. 
And so I do have a very soft spot in my heart for marching band music and drum lines. I, it's not something I pursue listening to. And I agree, like in the middle, like in the middle of side A on a rock album, a little bit unexpected, a little jarring. A little jarring? What the heck, guys? Jarring. What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> but I... Oh, I love it. So you start the song and you get this like crowd murmur and, and what you hear is like a, a marching band far away. And then the volume increases as if they're marching closer to you. And uh, I, <laughs> what I wrote, I think for the first time in my life, I uttered the phrase that piccolo player fucking rocks. <laughs> <laughs> because I have to say, uh, for what's going on in the marching band parts, there is some great instrumentalists. Like they're all just hitting their parts really hard. There's trombones doing sure, glissandos. Sure, because Ron and Russell were like, no, again, again. That's not I don't know if they were there. I don't know. It could have been Visconti who was doing this. I don't know. I don't, I wish I knew a little bit more. So listeners, if you know a little bit more about um, how the song was produced and where the instrumental parts were produced and who was involved, please put it in the comments because it's something I'm fascinated by and I haven't really tried to research it very much. But uh, yeah, so it comes in with these great marching band instrumentals, hard piccolo, uh, the winds sound great. And then I, I really love that the marching band, the, the, the whistle is like a part of the instrumental aspect of the song. Um, but I love the audio fabric of the song. And I say fabric specifically because you mentioned the strings. And so this song goes through so many amazing moments. You've got this fucking rock and piccolo <laughs> part, this marching band. And then the first verse goes into kind of like an almost an Indiana Jones, like John Williams or Holst fanfare. Ba -bum, my friends are here. Bum bum ba ba. Uh, that stays with you for a few measures. And then you get into like a little swing rag time, almost like a, a when it says, when, you, when they sing, I ain't no Freud, I'm from LA. <laughs> that part to me, I wrote generic theme park uh, brass band. <laughs> like, I don't know if that makes any sense, but you know, like theme parks, sometimes there's like 1920s main town street USA. And there's always like this sort totally. of yes. brass band kind of music. Uh, not quite a hard rag time, but anyway, and then you get into a little Bavarian waltz. So all of these things, those three, <laughs> you go from fanfare to uh, ragtime band to like a little swinging Bavarian waltz. That's the first verse. And it, then, sorry, go yeah. ahead. No, no, please. Well, this is another one that I feel has great lyrics too. The I ain't no Freud, yeah. I'm from LA is great line. Um, it has the line, another creepy one but very um reflective of the 70s the night is younger than the girl who's got the touch but not by much that is <laughs> yes it's creepy. So 70s oh my god like really very much so i also just love the whole idea of god getting annoyed with you for <laughs> about a questionnaire which to me is a little echo in time that will be revisited on hippopotamus and what the hell is it this time but we're not there yet um another album i think is a masterpiece and can't wait to talk about but um i mean we're yeah. only halfway yeah like we're only halfway through the song um then you get into this bit where it's actually still like what's considered a four four beat but it's uh in a time signature called 12 eight meaning that there's three beats 
for every whatever, six, I can't remember, whatever. Lots of bees, it's more of a triplet sound. And so when you get into the salmon spawn, a ton of water blocks their motion, you then have strings. So at that point you have love strings, strings. Love them. and it's like such a lush ballad part mm. of the song, but they do a, like a nice little scoop on the notes, like meow, meow. It's very like, it's okay. very swirling and seductive. You know, yes. you're talking about the Parisians using their, not using their hands as seductive. The, those strings are very seductive to me. Like, yeah, yeah do it. Yeah. And oh. it gets into this and it, it just gives it a totally different flavor. Then Bamping Piano comes in, we get a little Sergeant Peppers, a little brass coming this back is in. Sergeant Peppers to me. Yeah. Is, you know, I mean, come on, they've got the band. Like, yeah. do we do we think they were trying to um create a Sgt. Pepper style album? I think yes. I, I really do. I don't know. I, there are influences. But of of that be, you know of that idea of using non-rock instruments to create certain sounds and yeah then we get back into the drum brings us back in with some 16th notes and uh you get back into uh, you know back into the swing of it all and uh i just felt all for one one for all part that is always interesting to me because it feels a little off kilter to me it feels a little like weirdly syncopated though it's not i don't know but it was fun and when we saw them live when that yes, part came this was out. a great one that they did live i, I thought this was yeah. fantastic live yep and uh and then as melanie said the sort of the last verse of the song is this sustained chords heavenly host organ vocals love and it. then you hear hello down there <laughs> you know this is your creator with a questionnaire and then the spoken line Hello up there. <laughs> I don't know if I had a questionnaire. Oh, it's so cheeky and so lovely. I love it. So yeah, I mean, there's just a lot going on in this song. And um this it, when the the last time you hear the the refrain, what you if you really listen to it, you hear actually all of the instruments you've heard before in the song so you've got the marching band you've got the strings you've got again some brass you've got the organs the vocals like every all those little bits and pieces that you heard all come together for the final the final verse and it's just a rich rich sound um it's really fun oh the, and then plus like there's all these parts where the electric guitar is coming in that brings like a rock edge to it yeah it's just an oddly rocking marching band song and that fucking piccolo player rocks <laughs> <laughs> and I played the flute, uh, but nobody um, indicated that I had any talent playing the flute. And honestly, um, you know, I gave it up. It was fun. It was fun for a while. Yeah, you know, instrumental playing, you got to learn a lot of conformity, but also musicianship. It's a lot of layers. But let's get out of, so now we're going to get out of the marching band and get in get under the table with her okay so this is the one i wrote the least about here all i wrote all i wrote back to the table with her not one of my favorites but mm -hmm. i love the strings and the lyrics are really sweet actually there you go end of review <laughs> end of review i do like it 
but it is not my favorite. What do you think about it? Well, you know, I think, like I said, I was surprised in the the tour that this was one of the songs that was played. And you said, well, it's because it was used in the movie. And I thought, and I, I haven't, I've only seen the movie once. I got to watch it again, the documentary. But um, I know, I know Ms. Melanie. No, no, it's fine. I, it's just, I'm, I'm part of the crew that apparently has no problem rewatching it a number of times. But Oh, no, do I. I just haven't uh, gotten to it yet. But yet is that word. Um, there, so I think that they bring, they, they play this song, I think when they talk about why this album wasn't as successful or why it was a little considered pretentious or alienating, but uh, what I think of whenever I listen to this song is that part in Velvet Goldmine where they're going through the phase where it's like a Versailles, like Marie Antoinette, Rococo period. I don't know if you remember the photo shoot. Oh yeah, those yeah. great photo shoots. <laughs> you know, little like Come on kids, we're putting on a show, yes. Heart shapes like beauty marks. And uh, <clears throat> you know, that period, at, you know, silk britches, powdered wigs. And <clears throat> um, I do think that that's, that, I, I get that flavor that, and again, it was like, kind of a little bit allowed in Flamrock to go there to go to that Rococo like period and and be rather indulgent and I don't know it's just a fun fun piece and lovely strings they start out quite simple but as you go through the song again they they, they layer little variations in I think halfway through they put in some winds some recorders or wooden flutes uh until you get towards the, I think they, the, one of the last refrains when they come back to um, dinner for 12 was now dinner for 10. If you, you list, you actually hear a spoken bit underneath. Yes. It sounds a little bit like a butler announcing like, yes. dinner for 12. So there's I just little like layers and variations um, throughout the song. And it's a really sweet, it is a sweet song and it just ends in a nice sustained chord ensemble cut. And uh just it could have been any time in any place they're time travelers they're they're time travelers i i still contend that that's a real distinct possibility um i wanted to say something else about it um it's funny because the title is under the table with her which sounds like it's going to be sort of dirty but actually the lyrics are very sweet and innocent yeah you know, about like two kids playing under the table which you know kids do do that so yeah. um that's another thing it's it's a little bit of a head fake in in that way to me um but yeah it's not my favorite probably i i don't know i'm i'm a rock i'm a rock chick generally sure. so so this is a slower song it's it's very string focused i can enjoy it it's whimsical but, but i want to i want to get down a little bit yeah. so maybe that's that's a reason i don't like it that is very valid but now uh, we're finally getting to uh how are you getting home which um this is remember i said we were going to come back to the question are sparks a feminist band or not do they have feminist sensibilities look i don't want to offend anyone who's listening who is uh you know not pro feminist we're 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 pro woman we're pro intersectional intersectional feminism uh on this podcast um i would say this song definitively proves that sparks are a feminist band <laughs> do not agree i do not agree <laughs> at all but i love the discussion so yes. now i'm eating more champagne gummy bears okay watch out take care 
Watch go. out. Go. Do okay. it. So I absolutely adore this song. It is one of my favorite songs on here. I love the premise <laughs> of some guy just annoying the fuck out of you, asking how you're getting home. Like any girl has been in this situation with some guy who will not leave her alone. That is the feeling I get from this song. <laughs> and the lyrics, the, the lyrics and the music just fit it so well because I love the sweeping beginning of this. Yeah. How are you getting home? It sounds very, let me take you home. It sounds super romantic. Like, like I want to walk you home. How romantic. Like Road, yeah. And then, then Russell just relentlessly asked you, how you getting home? How you getting home? How you getting home? Mama curious. No, I'm only really curious. We've all been in that situation where <laughs> you are like i'm fine leave me the fuck alone and this person will not take no for an answer what i like is your independence and there's my car like the lyrics to me they're just chef's kiss i i love them and so i feel like maybe maybe they're not feminist but but they got it they, they got it that's what yeah I mean. that's fair I, it is it is it's um interest not introspective but like it recognizes that 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 point in time at a party where you're trying to get a girl you know you're kind of like close the deal actually wrote uh musically this starts out kind of abbey road with that slower part and then it goes like a weird bam rockabilly like frenetic yes. um and i wrote lyrically don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> but the, the lyrics definitely make me laugh because, you know, they're like, uh, I can take you home, we'll get halfway home. And then there's the like, tomorrow you'll be home. Like just assuming that you're, that you're gonna spend the night together. Right, right, that's what I mean. This this guy is, he's, he's, he's a nice guy. This song is about a nice guy who's just giving you a ride. The, another thing I love in this song is um, the moment when Russell sort of desperately wails, how you getting there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love, uh, we're too good to be at this party. We're good to be, yes. too good to be anywhere except inside my car. Yes, yes, yes. So, <laughs> Don't let me push it, baby. What I like is your independence. You got real spunk, real independence. Now there's my car, let's just go. Right, Fuck. right. I feel like, <laughs> they they get it okay they get it maybe maybe they're not feminist i'm probably reading my own politics into it but what i know from this song is i know they get it they they get it um, i think they do yeah though this song to me the reason why i don't i would i don't think it's a feminist song really is because i there's nothing about the voice of the woman here it's all the dude it's just from the perspective of the guy and the desperate, I mean, I don't know, my husband's a horny bastard, like, he's, a, like, I mean, I just, like, there's an aspect of some people sexually are willing to just put it out there, and they'll chase you down, and ugh, I don't know, I don't, yeah. I, I read this as, they're certainly singing in the character of someone yeah. doing this, but the lyrics to me strike me as so knowing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like to me, this song is definitely about 
a guy who's simultaneously complimenting you on your independence and also got real fun real independent go for an answer um that's that's the vibe i get from this song and for i get sure. the vibe that they're making fun of someone like this that is the feeling i get and i am 100 here for it and i feel like this is a song that could be out today from a a pro woman male band mm. but the sparks the sparks boys wrote it in 1975 or 74 they were there maybe who knows maybe they went before the term date rape existed melanie that's true but you know what at that time um women's consciousness raising sessions existed so maybe they were going to a few who knows (laughs) (laughs) oh you know what it it is a good tune it's got it is it's a great great great, like two part you know it's got two parts it's got the sweet slower part and then this fast like bam 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 bam. and it's just really it's really a pleasure i yeah it it is it's it's a great song this is uh one of my favorites on this album for sure um and this is the end of side a i believe that that is the end of side a so that's that's where we're gonna stop for tonight sure oh melanie again i know we were both super excited to talk about this album and it's really been such a pleasure I have a theory, this is something we'll talk about next time, that Ron Mayall writes some of his songs based on throwaway lines that he hears people say. So, for example, Ugly Guys with Beautiful Girls, there's the line, you always know what the story is. I can just totally hear someone being like, Ugly Guys with Beautiful Girls, you always know what the story is. Like, I just, (laughs) and Tits is one of those. Tits is one of those. They all look good after three or four. That's the line he built. This <laughs> my, I, I, I just, I have a, it's, it's just a theory I have that Ron, that Ron will occasionally hear someone say something and then he'll write an entire song based on their throwaway comment. Um, so anyway, we'll talk <laughs> about that awesome. next time. Well, it's been a pleasure. And I just, I want to thank everybody who's been listening to us talk about this wonderful band and uh, the great comments. Thank you so much. I, I learn a lot from our commenters. So I really appreciate, appreciate that. And uh, yeah. How about you, Mel? Uh, Yes. I just want to say thank you to everyone for listening. I hope that you're enjoying. Um, We are enjoying doing it. I would also just like to give a big shout out to Ron and Russell Mail for bringing us so much joy with your music um, and your art. We love it. Thank you to all of the musicians who've worked for them and the producers. Thanks to to uh Todd Rundgren for giving him a chance because there'd be no sparks without that I'm kind of going over the top right now I might have had a little bit of the- I know <laughs> I've been real tipsy okay I've like eaten half of these gummy bears now I realize like wait I I am on like an audio mic <laughs> as I listen to this it's not like I haven't heard choo, anything choo, choo. okay I've- you go look up weird AMR shit okay that look is it up. so weird all right well thanks everybody bye 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 We, if we can't be happy, then neither can you. <laughs> <laughs>